Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode. This is a time when we're going to be into a lot of busyness in our lives, a little more than usual, if you're like most people, and it feels a little hectic. So today's episode, I want to talk about you and your self-care and a thought that I have that I'm going to share with you that I think is very powerful. And also in today's episode, we're going to have a guest, Sharon Saylor. She is the podcaster with a very successful autoimmune hour program. We're going to be talking about the influence of stress and anxiety on your health. And of course, that is particularly of interest to me as it pertains to living with or having been raised by or left or whomever, <laughs> maybe a hijackal in your life. You really do have to look at the chronic stress and anxiety. So we're going to be giving you some ideas about that. But before we get on with that part of the program, I want to talk to you about a very important thing. And it's even in the title because I want to talk about the importance of uninterrupted time. You are extremely important in your life. You are extremely important to you. And I hope you treat yourself that way. I hope that you recognize that you can't give a, a gift you don't have. And the only way that you can be in great shape, feeling rested, feeling taken care of, is to take care of yourself. And many times we have to think about that in terms of emotional savvy. Because there's a whole community out there, a whole culture out there, that even uses phrases like this one, which I truly would like to see taken out of the English language, which is, give until it hurts. Imagine if everybody did that. Everybody would be hurting. Now what? All right? It doesn't make any sense. And what it does is it says that you should always be giving, whether you have something to give or not. Maybe you just need to give to yourself and there has to be balance and equality in that and reciprocity and mutuality. So I want to talk about the importance of this factor, uninterrupted time. You know, have you ever been in the middle of writing something or uh, listening to something or reading something and a a spouse or a partner or a co-worker or a child arrived at your door and they have a need? Or have you ever been working on something so intense for your work and just as it begins to come together, your phone rings? Yeah, these events happen and they can be annoying and irritating and downright infuriating. And of course, we can say, oh yes, well, the child has needs, the partner has needs, the co-worker has needs, but there has to be balance. And that creates, when people are interrupting you all the time, it creates an extremely inefficient use of your time as well. So it's not only interrupting your self-care, but it is producing 
a, an inefficient use of your time and you feel frustrated and you're not moving in the flow that you could be. And, you know, even research has shown that when we're in the middle of a creative project, that when we're interrupted, it takes up to 20 minutes to return to the same high level of productivity. Now, if we just think about that for a minute, that one fact alone could transform workplaces, couldn't it? So how do you create uninterrupted time for yourself? So I was just talking about the workplace, which I don't talk much about on this program, but I, I like to include it. So let's think about that. First of all, the work culture has to address this issue because when there are cubicles, interruption can be constant. Your level of concentration becomes critical. Can you really block out unwanted stimuli easily? Can you see people coming up to you from your workstation? I think one of the truly disruptive things, both physically and emotionally, is the jolt you get when a person speaks to or touches you unexpectedly. It's a good idea to create a rearview mirror for yourself if you cannot see folks approaching your cubicle. Because when you have to overcome both the mental interruption and the shock to your body, that's even more disturbing. So wherever you are when you have your quiet time, if you have a door, you're lucky. And if it's in your family, it's a really good idea to be teaching your children that it's okay to have times when you want to be alone. I was uh, doing some business consulting not long ago and I saw a sign on a door and it said this, the door was closed and it said, if you're thinking of knocking or opening this door, you really don't understand why it's closed. Think again. <laughs> you know, and I remember back when I was a single mom raising my three children, working full time, getting my PhD, and we had a house that had one bathroom. And I used to have a sign on my bathroom door that it was my only escape because I had no money for babysitters. It was, that bathroom was my only escape and it would be late in the evening. But there was a sign on the door that said, unless you're bleeding, don't knock. <laughs> because there had to be a bubble bath in there somewhere. So it's important for us to establish the fact that we deserve to take good care of ourselves, to teach other people how to take good care of us, and to allow us the time to take good care of ourselves. You know, we can ask ourselves some questions. Does the telephone really need to be answered every single time it rings? Probably not. You could get some uninterrupted time if you turned off the ringer. Does email have to be answered within 30 seconds of its arrival? No, but we all know the person who sent it thinks it should, <laughs> but it doesn't. Or a text. So what would it take to unhook yourself from the demands of even the phone or the text or the email and develop habits that you feel supported by, that you feel are on your terms rather than on other people's terms? because we don't want to have constant interruption. We need some quiet time to ourselves. So it's very important for us to create those things. And no matter if you're the only available person in the home or the only available person in the office, 
you can still assess your workload and make suggestions as to when it's a good time to talk with you or ask for something and when it would be better not to. So it's a good thing to do the work within yourself to find that uninterrupted time, to find that time that's uniquely for yourself, doing something that restores you, that rests you, that nourishes you, that nurtures you, and that you absolutely deserve to have that time. And yes, of course, it may mean getting up earlier to do it. I had a client not long ago who told me that she got up at 4.30 because she got up at 4.30, she got an hour before the children in the house woke up. But it was uninterrupted just for her time and it filled her up and made her so much better to deal with her day. So everyone needs quiet, uninterrupted time. And recently I was working with a coaching client who had a demanding job, a new baby, and a husband who travels extensively for his work. And we talked about how can you carve out at least one half hour a day of uninterrupted time for herself. Everything seems to be more demanding than her promises to herself. And she agreed and she's changing that quickly. How about you? Are you willing to make yourself a priority? Are you demonstrating that by how you use your time? Are you setting good boundaries with other people to let them know when your uninterrupted time is? If you're with a hijackal, I know it can be very difficult because they want you when they want you and they want your attention, but you're an adult and you can say no or you can go out or you can lock yourself in the bathroom. You can do something. And maybe it's not a half hour at first, but a little while. I know one client of mine who, when she needs quiet time, she locks herself in her closet in her bedroom. <laughs> so you can find a time. Honestly, you can. And I really encourage you to do that because you have to feel good about you and you have to feel taken care of in order to have emotional savvy. You need to be able to take a breather, have some downtime, connect with yourself. So very important. So I hope you'll think about these things. How can you carve out some uninterrupted time for you each day, no matter how long or short it is, but that it exists and that you do have some longer periods that you take. Now in the rest of this episode, we're going to be talking with Sharon Saylor. We're going to be talking about the impact of chronic stress and anxiety on bodies. We're going to talk about getting healthy, getting well when things are connected to autoimmune issues. Such a good show for you today. I'm so glad you're here and I look forward to talking with you soon. Remember, if you need anything from me, go to forrelationshiphelp.com. If you want to be part of my safe groups on my website, go to forrelationshiphelp.com slash ESC for Emotional Savvy Circle forrelationshiphelp.com slash ESC. That way you can ask me your questions directly. It's a great place to connect. I look forward to talking with you soon, as I said, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode. Take good care. Hello and welcome to Emotional Savvy. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler and I am here with my guest Sharon Saylor and it is so exciting to me that we're going to have a different view 
a different way of looking at some of the results of being in a troubling relationship, a relationship in crisis, or a relationship with a relentlessly difficult person, which you know around here we call hijackles. So welcome to the program, Sharon. Well, thank you, Roberta. It's my pleasure and honor. I'm so excited to be here today. Yes, well, I'm so excited too. I'm going to read a little bit about you so that everybody hears the highlights, just so that we're very clear because we have someone really special here today. She has a podcast that you're going to want to listen to. So she is a best-selling author and a speaker known as the Difficult People Whisperer and is listed on globalgurus.com or .org, rather, as one of the 20 top people worldwide for body language. And that's a topic for another day. Today we're going to talk about autoimmune things, but we want to talk about body language another day. And she is the host of the number one show on Ohm Times Radio called The Autoimmune Hour. And she offers hope and help for those with autoimmune conditions. Now, why am I so excited that you're here, Sharon, is because I know so many of my clients who have been in relationship with very difficult people, whether that was their mother or their partner or a boss or whatever, end up having their health compromised. So we want to talk about that. And I know that your own journey with a rare medical condition caused you to create that. So let's talk about all those things. So. Autoimmune disease, it's something that kind of creeps up on you and often people don't know what to look for, especially those people called our doctors when we go with signs and symptoms. So what would you say to someone who is suffering some mystical symptoms? Wow, big question, Roberta. Let's start at the top. I would say keep a journal of your symptoms. It's so easy to forget, maybe, you know. Uh, I found out, I thought was being treated for years for a chronic sinus, sinus infection. Oh. And what shocked me was one day, just by chance, I realized that I had eaten a particular food and I got sinus pain. And I avoided that food for a week. My sinus pain left. I ate that food again. My sinus pain came back. And so I had been treated for years with powerful medication for si chronic sinus infection when it was really a food allergy. Mm. And so, so often we can look at things and doctors do their very best and they go on the stats like, well, she's coming in with sinus pain. I tap on the sinuses, looks like sinus pain, acts like sinus pain, treated as sinus pain. Mm -hmm. But the problem with autoimmune is there's so many symptoms that stay within sort of a baseline. And they can't really tag it as lupus or Crohn's or MS or dermatomyositis or psoriatic arthritis. There's like over 150 and counting autoimmune diseases right now. They can't tag it with something until you pop out of that baseline. And so doctors are doing their very, very best most of the time to try and find out what's wrong. So my first suggestion is keep a journal of your symptoms. I know that sounds a little hypochondriac, but trust me, it really helps. Well, you know, it's not too far off the mark, Sharon, because people are told when they have food allergies to keep a food journal and to watch exactly what you were just talking about and see what happens and then do a rotation diet and take something out for 21 days and then see if you feel better. So it's not too far beyond the pale, is it? 
No, not at all. And I learned not too long ago that I actually had an autoimmune condition starting at 16, but no one ever treated as an autoimmune condition called endometriosis. Uh, When I heard that that was an autoimmune, I'm like, wow, (laughs) here I am many, many decades later, just finding out that I've been walking around with an autoimmune condition for a long time. And then what happens most often is a lot of people do have symptoms where their immune system isn't working at optimum. And then what happens is something could be a toxin, a food allergy, stress, trauma, PTSD, could be a lot of things. It sort of is that straw that breaks the camel's back and you get a full-blown what they call flare. Mm-hmm. And in my world, we call them exacerbations. So flare and exacerbation. All of a sudden, everything collides into like, nope, not dealing with that anymore, the body says, and, and up your legs go in the air and down you go in your bed for a while. Yeah. And I think, you know, in my field, helping people who are in difficult situations with difficult people, I would say that at least 60% of the people that I have in my practice, and they're worldwide, Sharon, tell me that they have chronic fatigue or they have chronic pain or they have some kind of recurring something that always tells me, hey, you need to be looking for the fact that you are suffering, your immune system is suffering, it's being depressed by your being depressed or anxious or stressed by this long-term relationship. So uh, what's your experience? I know you've done your show for, for quite a while. So what's your experience with talking about the effect of negative relationships on the, on the immune system? Well, I think finding out negative relationships, toxic situations was critical to my healing. About, I've done 200 episodes. We've been on the ep- for four years now. So i not a doctor. This is just the science of Sharon, folks. <laughs> but I've done a lot of talking to doctors in these 200 episodes. And it was about mm, two years in when I met Dr. David Clark. And he has this wonderful book, They Can't Find Anything Wrong. And what was fascinating to me is he lists five, what I'll call 30,000-foot view things that are often show up as physical ailments in the body. Everything from adverse childhood experience Mm -hmm. to one that really blew me away. The fifth one is good relationship, bad health. That one blew me away. And I'll dive into that and then we'll talk about the bad relationships. But the reason this one blew me away was he's seen over 7,000 patients. He's a a retired gastroenterologist. And what he found, which I so related to, was that So you've been in a lot of toxic situations throughout your life, and you've been holding it in, you've been holding yourself together, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, really, all of those things. And you get into a good relationship, and all of a sudden, you have this safety, and your body relaxes, and and in just this terrible fashion, it just all kind of goes to jelly. (laughs) The body just goes, oh my gosh, I'm safe, I can... And then you let go and then the body has to go through this repair process because you've been stuck in fight or flight for way too long and then you get in a safe spot. So I found that an interesting viewpoint. I find that interesting too because that letdown phenomenon, you know, when you finally get to that safety is a real thing. 
and then you feel like you're falling apart at the best moment in your life. Why am I falling apart when this person has just arrived? And it's wonderful. So I'm not surprised that he had that on the list because in my world, that's what I experience with people. So how about the flip side of that then? What did he have to say about that or what did you learn? Well, some of my other favorite things that I've learned is from uh, Sarah Payton, who has this marvelous way of bringing neurobiology together with what I'll say layman's terms so we all can understand the, neuro, the neurobiology of trauma, which is really important now. Um, Bessel van der Kolk and Dr. Stephen Porges are both experts in that field, and that just has me amazed. As When I started exploring all of this, and Dr. Clark was sort of the one who pushed me into this direction, uh, Sarah Payton has a beautiful book called Your Resident Self, and in that, and she's been on the show several times, and I'm always so thrilled, because she talks about these unwritten contracts that we keep with ourselves, mm-hmm. whether as a, the types of people you describe as hijackals, sometimes even unbeknownst to us, we have unwritten contracts with them or with ourselves about keeping ourselves safe. And she has this marvelous set, two questions that changed the whole way I look at self. And that was that we're always asking these two questions, am I safe and do I matter? (laughs) Boy, those two questions really hit home when you start, and if you're in a toxic relationship, you begin to question your self-worth. You begin to say, you know, question even your self-love. What is self-love at that point? And so, boy, when I heard those two questions in one of her interviews, it was hit home. It was amazing. Well, I certainly agree. And I, I giggled because one of the books that I've written, and I've written 16 of them, but one, one of them I, I wrote with my partner. And at the very back, top, the top of the back of the book, the first words, large type says, you matter. <laughs> because this is so important. And I think that, that whatever Sarah had to say, and I'm sure the conversation that she had on the autoimmune hour was an amazing one because the idea of safety and mattering is absolutely key. And what you said about you get into a good relationship and then you, you know, uh, things fall apart. Um, the same thing, of course, is true. You get into a bad relationship and you bring with it the expectations of a good relationship. And then things begin to fall apart and you start saying to yourself, is it my fault? And yes. when you're with a hijackal, the hijackal is absolutely going to tell you on a daily basis that everything is your fault. So the suppression and you know is constant and your depression begins and your ability to have any expression is diminished. And of course, then you're going to have a suppression of the immune system. I think the fantastic thing that is to realize as you begin to do this work, your work of the hijackals and understanding your place and the part that you play, the roles that you choose to play, you can choose new roles. Mm-hmm. And going from walking and talking on eggshells your whole life in a relationship, that's not how relationships should be. Mm-hmm. Relationships are open and fair dialogue, and you matter in relationships. You, right. you, know, you need to know you matter first. But as you say, the hijackal is an expert at making you feel like you don't matter, that mm-hmm. someone else matters more. And yeah. I think... That's where the body begins to 
internalize all of these things. I've seen through a lot of my community on the autoimmune hour, people will say things that reflect on the body. They'll be talking to me about their world and they'll say, well, they'll be talking maybe about a pain in the neck. And you explore that a little bit and all of a sudden a, na- a, a pronoun will come out. He or she or it is a pain in the neck. And you're like, oh, that's a sign. That's an emotional pain that is manifesting as a physical pain. Right. Or- Pain in the rear. We have all of these great euphemisms for emotional pain. <laughs> yeah, we do. And, you know, you, you mentioned um, Van der Kolk. Well, when you read The Body Keeps the Score, I mean, if, if you are interested in that kind of thing, and, and many people that are in poor relationships are experiencing health challenges, and so it's a good thing to read. And to understand that this infinite connection of every aspect of ourselves has to be honored. If somebody's telling you you're wrong all the time and you start saying you're wrong all the time, what kind of energy is that? I mean, it's downward energy, it's suppression, it's, it's going towards extinction. Mm. And you're going to have some real challenges in your health. It's not going to be surprising that you may get chronic pain or you may have chronic fatigue or whatever. And, of course, then we look at the work of uh, Gabor Mate in Canada. And he tells us in his research that he learned that if you have, as a woman, it's just for women, but as a woman, if you have both chronic stress and chronic anxiety together at the same time his research shows that you are nine times more likely to get breast cancer wow that is amazing and not surprising sadly not surprising and an interesting uh, interview that uh, just had with uh, dr noman naim is fascinating to me about setting an intention to get well Mm -hmm. and that all comes down to my point of view of stating that I matter and that I do love myself and if I don't love myself nothing else matters <laughs> I can't I'm no good to anybody <laughs> at that point you know and I found it fascinating when he he's a um, pulmonary um, hmm. I forget, pulmonary cardiologist or something. It's a very yeah. a very specialized thing, I think. I, I might be wrong about that, but he's a very specialized doctor. And he found that a huge number of his patients don't come in with any intention of getting well. And that was very shocking and sad to me that, okay, it, it all starts with intention, whether it's about our own wellness or what do I want for my life? And if, do I really want to be in this relationship where I'm walking and talking on eggshells and feeling stress? And oh my gosh, now my body is even breaking down. Yeah, and what if you have that relationship with your primary physician? I know many people who do. They go in and they think MD stands for medical deity. Now, what, whatever the doctor tells them, they go, oh, that's what I should do. I mean, I had an experience in my own life where I went to a specialist who, because I wouldn't do what he wanted me to do, told me, well, you're going to die anyway, so, you know, you can go and not waste my time. I said, ah, no, 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 I don't have an expiration on my foot, and you're fired, Um, and I regained my health completely. But the thing is, exactly what you said is so powerful. Who are you giving your power away to? Do you give your power away to a medical diagnosis? Or to somebody having a bad day with no bedside manner? 
Or do you actually have a deep desire to live and are willing to do anything to make that happen? Oh, absolutely. And I can't tell you, when I f first got the diagnosis, they went through this list and I said, thank you, but those are stats and that's not going to be me. And I don't know why. I said I'll be well in three years. I was well in three years and two months. I don't, they say I'm not cured and I say I don't care. <laughs> I feel great. Uh, you know, use whatever words you want. Now I'm looking back, why didn't I say I'd be well in three months? I don't know. But somehow <laughs> it came out I'll be well in three years and I was well in three years and two months. And I remember searching. I fired my first two rheumatologists. Now there's gracious ways to fire them too. Like, thank you very much. But I think we have a difference of opinion on my optimal health and that I will be well. Mm -hmm. And I need someone on my team that believes I will be well and I'm just not being crazy. And so uh, I thank you for your help, but I'm finding someone else. I mean, that's, there's generous ways to fire someone and it's perfectly okay to fire one. When the first time I fired him, I wasn't the first one I fired. I was a little scared, but I'll tell you, you get stronger each time you do it. <laughs> yeah, and isn't it a shame that we have to even exercise that muscle and get stronger? But, you know, where, where I was in that situation was he was so offhand. Like yeah. he just, he said, well, if you're not going to have the surgery I want you to have, then you're just going to die anyway. So you might as well leave and not waste my time. My life and my health is wasting your time when you're getting paid for that. Oh, no, you're fired. I mean, I, I was quite. Confused. I definitely would have said you're fired <laughs> at that moment, too. But if some people in the uh, listening are going, oh, that's too scary. Because that takes a lot of, you know, you got a lot of guts, girl. We know that. So <laughs> that takes a All lot right. of guts and so a lot you, of practice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so you spoke up about intention. I think that's number one. We want to really take away from this conversation is what is your intention? Is, you know, when I owned the retreat center, I would work with the person with the diagnosis and their families. And often when we got down to the psychological things that were behind that, the emotional and mental things that were behind that, they really were quite happy to have a diagnosis and they didn't know they were, but they really wanted out of a situation or they wanted out of the life they had. And it was the only way that they subconsciously seemed to have known what to do. And when they could actually get in touch with, no, um, I want a different life. That's what I really want. For some people, that was an important thing. I'm not saying it's panacea for everybody, but it is really an important thing to know is, do you have a conscious or subconscious intention? And then what kind of metaphors are you using for your life and for your illness? What do you know about that? Oh, absolutely. The stories we tell ourselves are really important. We tell ourselves stories and metaphors about ourselves all the time. But if you listen carefully to someone, you can begin to dissect the metaphor that they're telling about their life, which is fascinating to me. I want to come back to intention just really quickly, though, because consider the idea of secondary gain. That's always an important question no, to ask. It sounds kind of a rude way to think about it, but uh, those were questions I had to ask myself if I was going to get well. Am I getting a secondary gain about having to have people cook food and dinner for me, about not being able to walk? Am I having a secondary gain for having losing 60% of my skin? I, you know, those were questions I had to answer, and only I can answer them. But you have to learn to be honest with yourself and then face the truth. And to me, nothing is more powerful than the truth. I've walked and talked on eggshells a long time. I have given up a lot and had loose boundaries. But the minute you take charge that you do matter, and that's 
you know, even that, I have to be honest. Sometimes it was a little loose at first. I do matter. And then you might go, uh, yes, I do matter. You know, stick <laughs> or, with or maybe it. not till next week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, stick with it. Because when you come to that place where you know what you know, and nobody knows your body. If you let's talk about doctors for a second. They'll tell you statistics, but nobody knows your body like you. And so if they say this and that is going to happen, this and that is going to happen, thank them for their guidance. Mm -hmm. And then you make the decision like, uh, no, that's not going to work for me. And one of the things I always say, be really careful when people talk to you about diagnosis, and this expands to all sorts of other places besides diagnosis as well. But they said, Sharon, you have dermatomyositis. That's a terrible autoimmune, by the way. As I said, I lost a lot of my skin and couldn't walk. But the thing is to understand what they just did. They gave me ownership of it if I was going to accept ownership of it. And I said, thank you very much, but we don't use the word have here. No. Because you just implied, you just put on my forehead that I am owning dermatomyositis. And I refuse to own it. And I use the metaphor, I still use it in my own head, but I use the metaphor with the physician that did that. He didn't understand the metaphor, but it didn't matter. And my metaphor was, look, I can have cockroaches, but that doesn't mean I want them, nor am I going to keep them. And I'm putting my autoimmune condition as if it was a cockroach. So I will accept that I have dermatomyositis if you accept the fact that I don't own it. Uh -huh. And that I don't want it and I'm not planning to keep it. <laughs> exactly. Particularly not keeping it as a pet. Exactly. <laughs> now we've got so much to talk about and there's one other thing Sharon that I'd really like to talk with you about and that is when people are in a relationship that's not going well and you mentioned secondary gains I have seen people who have symptoms and they're real symptoms even if doctors suggest to them they're not they're real symptoms but what they're using it for is to escape from the relationship to have to go and have a nap, to have to be silent, to have to be left alone. And many times, if they would look beyond just the physical health that they're describing and that they're experiencing and say, what is it that this secondary gain is serving for me that is about my relationship? Because when you're in relationship with a hijackal, a chronically difficult person, if that was your mother, you've probably enjoyed ill health for a long time, or your father, or you come into a relationship that you've been in for a long time and you've developed these, these um, symptoms, um, that maybe you don't even want to think about that it could be your relationship. It's hard. Yeah, you have to, though. And I tell people, yes, I absolutely believe that you have something that is particularly an immune system disorder or at least a suppressed immune system where you're getting colds all the time or something's happening to you that causes you to be taken out of life for a while, not expected to participate. And what would life be like if that were gone? Absolutely. And that's a hard question. That's a scary question. That's a, a question that you have to go so deep and be truly honest with yourself. And I find that if you've got a hijackal in your adult life, you've probably been collecting hijackals your whole life, whether it's one or more family members and you recreate that in your personal private adult relationships and maybe even a child or another family member. You're, so you're collecting hijackals 
I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen solitary hijackles, but more often than not, I've seen someone who <laughs> starts to collect them. Mm-hmm. And until we get to that point where we honestly look at ourselves, and it's not easy. I'm not, this, I'm making it sound easy, but I'm, it's not easy. Yeah. It is a deep conversation. And two things that helped me was the realization, I have certain friends in my life that are brutally honest, but I love them because they're brutally honest. And I found that oftentimes when I was in a relationship with hijackal, I would have one of my friends say to me, but Sharon, and I would, they would spiel off a few things and I go, but you just don't understand. That was my clue. Whenever that came out of my mouth, later on, I learned this, it took a while. (laughs) But the minute I said that to my friend, I was like, all right, I have to stop and listen to her because I'm not the one understanding. She is not emotionally connected to the outcome other than she loves me. And so that's the thing I have to listen to. And listening to that, even though it was painful to hear somebody else's truth about me, which may or may not be true, I had to you know, use my judgment. Mm-hmm. That was painful, but eye-opening. And then what I did was I journaled. I wrote this down in journals, and I always write on the right-hand side of a journal, leave the left-hand side blank. I'll go back every month or two and read what you wrote. You will see your patterns. You will remember things. That's where these secondary gains come, become clear. If I just sat down and said, what's my secondary gain? Hmm, my back hurts. I don't have to vacuum. Kind of, <laughs> kind of superficial, you know, kind of superficial, but really get deep when you journal and go back and read your journal on the right-hand side, write down everything that's changed on the left-hand side because it tells you two things, your patterns and that this too shall pass. Excellent advice. I love that. And I I do similar things with my clients too. And it is a wonderful thing to do. And this whole idea of um, being able to say, okay, I noticed my trigger. I said to my friend, oh, you don't understand. Well, what is the secondary gain of telling other people you don't understand? That even has a piece that says, well, you couldn't possibly imagine what my life is like. How about that for a barrier? Yeah, I, I won't even let you even close to me entertaining the notion that you know something that, about my life that I could perhaps not see right now. And, you know, I tell my clients often when they're starting, they say, well, you know, I'm not, you don't know very much about this whole business of working with a professional and all. And I'll say, well, here's the deal. If it's a couple, I'll say you're two goldfish in a bowl and you can see each other but you can't see the water, you can't see yourself, you can't see the bowl, and you can't see the table you're sitting on. That's what a friend or a professional can do for you. They give you perspective from way out here, kind of looks like this. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I love the fact that you were able to say to yourself, ooh, that may be one of the ways that I'm tricking myself into not understanding what's possible here or what's actually going on. And then you will get into the victim role that you have put yourself in, and then it will be poor me and nobody understands. So not everybody does that. I don't want to tar everybody with the same brush, but it is important if you want your health to improve, that you certainly get support people and informed people, but that you are the pivot person in that entire team, right? Oh, absolutely. If you want your health to change, it has to start with you. That was my big takeaway in my 200 episodes and my healing. When I go back to my rheumatologist, 
they look at me and say, Sharon, you're in like the top, top, top. We never would have expected you here four years later. And that's because at that point, that turning point of taking control of the entire healing process, not just the physical, but the mental, emotional relationship healing process, the spiritual, excuse me, the spiritual healing process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Ayurvedic medicine, which I studied for nine years, we have things called the koshas. And that's what we have to look at. Is it on the physical level? It is on the emotional level, on the mental level, the spiritual level. And we go in from the outside. Is it physical? Art is physical. We can handle it. Then we go in a little deeper and a little deeper. And there are so many things available to us. You know, for my health, I have always had acupuncture. For 35 years, I've had acupuncture. I have a naturopath. I believe in that. I have an allopath, an osteopath. I have specialists. I have physical therapy people. I have massage people. I have all of that. Because what is life if it is not lived with the best that you can possibly be in terms of health? And nobody's going to do that for you. They can only make suggestions, and you either follow them or you don't. You either play on your team or you don't. And sure, there are some times when you can't lift a finger, but that's when you need your friends to say, okay, I know that you want to get well. So we're going to take those steps, and if I have to nudge you with a little bit of force every now and again to remind you what you really want, I'll do that. Those are the best friends. They truly are. And and to be excited about that, to say, okay, I have the opportunity of a healing journey here. Now, you know, I I used to own a a retreat center, as I said, and so all my clients would come, and 80% of them were people who had a diagnosis in their families. Okay, stop. There's not, this is not a one-way journey. Okay, let's look at that first. There are things that can be done. There are different ways of looking at things. There are assessments. There are so many wonderful things that you can do, even by what you put in your mouth three times a day. How about your willingness to do that? Are you willing to look at all these models? And that was often very liberating for someone because they had been taught in their life that you always believed the doctor instead of saying the doctor is one person on my team. How about that? What do you think? Oh, I totally agree. I have a team like you of all different types of everything from massage therapists, physical therapists. I do acupuncture as well, acupressure, energy healing, yoga, all of that, including the traditional Western medicine doctors. But even understand going to a Western med medical doctor is fascinating. They don't all agree either. I, I fired several, as I mentioned, and I found a group and I have a team of Western and other philosophies that will talk to each other. They are open to each other's way of healing. And they may not always agree, but it comes down to me getting the best advice for me. It may not be the best advice for Roberta. It may not be the best advice for someone that's listening. But as I've said, I'm the one that's got to take charge of my health. No one else knows my body like me. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to be the leader of your team. And there will be other people who will take leadership now and again, but you give them that leadership. They don't take it over. 
you say, oh, I, I want you to take the lead on this, or I'm going to do more of that, and I'm going to set this aside, and you get their agreement. And, you know, one of the doctors um, prescribed something for me, and I said, I'm not going to take it. And she said, oh, okay. And I said, well, you see, you just told me it's not important because you didn't fight for it. You didn't fight to in educate me as to why I had to do that. And she said, yeah, you're right. You know, like, okay, if I had been the docile patient, I'd go, oh, I've got to take that horrible, to me, a horrible drug. I don't want to take it. It's awful. It does terrible things. But I just said no. And she didn't even fight for it. She just said, okay. Right? <laughs> Makes you wonder how important it was considering all the side effects. And early on, I was labeled an NCP, which means non-compliant patient. Right. <laughs> I started to take that as a badge of honor because it was only the doctors that wanted it their way or the highway that labeled me that way. And now that I have a team that knows that I know myself and I'm willing to speak my truth and they speak their truth, you know, the label doesn't matter. They go, okay, I'll speak to them like what? Maybe they suggest some sort of intervention or prescription or other thing. And I'll say, tell me more. Yeah. And it's important for me. I have this question like, would you prescribe that to your um, daughter or son? Would you prescribe that to a, you know, a, a relationship, a close relationship partner? And if they say no, that's a pretty good sign that like you're like, <laughs> tell me why you're talking to me about it, you know? Exactly. So I, but find the team that understands you and gets you, and they are out there. It just, it did take me a while. It wasn't just, you know, snap my fingers and they appeared. Yes, you could tell why I was excited about having Sharon Sailor on my show, you know? Um, you know, our names are so close. When I go to say Sailor, I almost say Shaler, and I get all muddled up, but it's Sailor, S-A-Y-L-E-R, and she is the host of the Autoimmune Hour, and you want to go and listen to that. It will be supportive to you, and you will find her work at understandingautoimmune.com. And she has a great gift for you. You know, for many of us, we don't have the time to listen to a whole lot of podcasts as much as we would like to, but sometimes we read a lot faster. So she is offering you the transcripts of her shows, and you could go to understandingautoimmune.com slash transcribe dash tribe, understandingautoimmune.com slash transcribe dash tribe, and you can read the transcripts. So go and listen to her show. Certainly go and find her at understandingautoimmune.com. And I want to thank you for being with us. I hope you'll come back and we'll talk about body language and difficult relationships sometime soon. Oh, thank you. And I so love your show and all the work that you do too. We are always so much on the same page about how to be your best self. Thank you so much for your show as well. It's been my pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. You're listening to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. You can find out more about my guest, Sharon Saylor, at understandingautoimmune.com. If you want my help, go to forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com. Same thing for the YouTube channel, For Relationship Help. Find me on Binge TV Networks. So much for you. If you enjoyed today, tell a friend and bring them along next time. See you soon. Take care. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. 
If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more Emotional Savvy.